Welcome to this episode of the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. The mission of the Greenville Oaks Church of Christ is to inspire people to follow Jesus because we are convinced that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Find out more about Greenville Oaks or connect with us online at greenvilleoaks.org. As always, we ask that you subscribe to, rate, and review our podcast. It makes it easier for others to find us. And now, on to this week's message with Lead Minister Colin Packer. It's good to be in the house of the Lord together. I want to thank the praise band that led us in worship this morning. This is just one of those mornings for me that I needed uh, to be connected to my father in that way. And uh, man, what a blessing it is to be brought into the throne room of God together as we sing in this place. And as we gather each week, I'm grateful to Todd Vogt, who was here last week and uh, preached uh, to give me a break, but also to set up our missions focus for this uh, three-week period. Every uh, November, we have a missions offering, and it goes to fund all of the mission work that happens locally and foreign, abroad. Uh, And so this uh, is one of those times for us that we get to, to tell the story of what God's doing through our missions program. Uh, for the, the team that's involved with that, for the missionaries uh, that also get to speak into this. Uh, one of those you'll hear from today. And uh, it's a good, a good time to be together with this. So next week is our opportunity to give. And last week, our kids, I don't know if, if you have kids, you may have seen them come home with these. They had boxes they brought home and, and they were insistent to say, we're supposed to save up and give next week for our missions offering or on the 10th that's coming up. And so they're saving up our kids excited about what they'll be able to contribute to the mission fund. And I hope that we will not let them outdo us in the, in our generosity. They will lead us as children and we'll do the same as the people of God, grace, grateful for what God has done for us. So come prepared next week, be in prayer this week about how you can give financially. And I want us to also have open hearts this morning for how God might call us in particular ways as families to maybe go on mission this year in new ways. And we'll talk more about that next week as well. Uh, but let's pray as we open uh, God's word together this morning. God, we are not alone because you are a God who is always with us. Now, there have been times in my life where that was a threatening or frightening thought, that your ever-present seeing eye was always there to see the misdeeds or the mistakes. But God, now I've come to see who you truly are, and you're a God who uh, gives us the benefit of the doubt. You're a God who does not condemn us for those of us who are in Jesus Christ. You're a God who longs to give grace and restoration and to see us restored to relationship. And so I pray this morning we would take another step in that direction just like the prodigal son who wandered home, just like the older brother who needed to come in and celebrate the grace that you offer. God, would you call us forward in whatever step we need to take into your mission, into your calling for the sake of your kingdom. And pray this morning you would pour through me the gift of preaching so that Christ is formed in our hearts. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, I... Uh... I came across a quote several years ago that has made an impact on me. It's made an impact on my wife, our family. And it's actually uh, a quote that stands uh, right by our garage door. We see it every day when we walk outside. It's uh, the, the man in the arena is what the, the quote is. 
And it comes from a speech that was given in 1910 by Theodore Roosevelt. And uh, you may have seen this, heard from other authors who've repeated this, but for us, it's something that kind of guides us out the door each morning. It says, it's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself on a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. How many of you are familiar with this quote? You've heard this before somewhere. All right, we, I see some hands out there. Somebody who's popularized this in recent years is a woman named Brene Brown. I've mentioned her before. She's impacted me, her writing, uh, in a lot of ways. And she actually titled her book, uh, the, the first kind of main book that came out, or I guess second of her books, was Daring Greatly. And it came directly from this quote, that even if we fail, we are going to be people who dare greatly in our failure. Um, and that's where I first remember coming across this quote. But a couple of weeks ago, I, I realized we we're going to be preaching through Matthew 14, the story of Peter walking on the water for these three weeks. That was going to be kind of our story we were going to come back to. And I opened a book that I read back in 2005 by a pastor named John Ortberg. And his book is titled, If You Want to Walk on Water, You've Got to Get Out of the Boat. When I opened that book back up with the underlines and the highlights of what was important to me back in 2005, I came across this quote there that I'd actually read it before I found it in Brene's work. And uh, he used it in the context of Peter walking on water with Jesus. So let me read this quote again. And I want you to hear this quote this time, thinking through who Peter is, what his story is. Again, if you know the story of Peter, Peter uh, and the disciples are in this scene where they've been a part of this crowd. Jesus has preached and he sends the disciples off on the Sea of Galilee in a boat. And he goes off and spends some time in prayer. And all of a sudden a storm comes up on the waters. This is Matthew 14. And uh, they're terrified. And all of a sudden there's this figure, this, what they think is a ghost coming to them on the waters. And that ghost is Jesus. And in the midst of that, Peter calls out and says, if it's you, I want to walk on the water. And he says, come. And, and so Peter walks on the water only then to falter when he sees the wind and the waves and he sinks into the Sea of Galilee. I think this would have been a helpful quote for Peter in the days that came ahead because Peter experienced failure. But I think he may have needed to hear something like this. And maybe we do too. It's not the critic who counts. Think of this in the context of Peter. Not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself on a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least uh, fails while daring greatly so that his place shall never be among those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Some of you know that need that quote this morning. Maybe you need that quote because you stumbled. Maybe you need that quote because right now it feels like there's dust and blood and sweat on your face. Maybe you need that quote because you come up short again and again. Maybe it's because you failed or maybe it's because your critics are ringing loudly in your ears. 
Maybe you need that quote because you've dared greatly and you're ready to give up. Peter could have used this quote because Peter had to feel like a failure. Yes, he walked on the water. Peter also sank under the waters. How many of you can relate to this story, right? Some of the greatest achievements, some of the greatest moments in your life were these mountaintop experiences. Moments you knew you would tell your grandkids about, but you're almost ashamed to tell those stories because of what happened on the back end of those moments. These moments of failure, these moments of frustration, these moments of criticism that came. Can any of you relate to that? I mean, it's amazing how often the great highs in my life are followed by moments of deepest lows. It's also amazing that the deepest lows often stick with me more than the great highs do, right? Your criticism is something, people who bring it to you, who criticize you from the outside, sometimes outside the arena when you're in the middle of the arena, those are the things you sometimes remember that run through your head much more than those moments when you were in the arena, when your hands were held high, when things went well. Can you imagine what the other disciples said to Peter after getting out of the boat and nearly drowning? Can you imagine, imagine the criticism that came Peter's way? This had to be an ongoing joke with these disciples, right? Hey, Peter, you remember that time when you stepped out of the water and thought you could walk out and then you sank in the water? Like that had to have come up again and again. But here's my question to you this morning. Did Peter fail? And there isn't a sense of way in which Peter did fail. He, he doubted God. He sank into the waters. But here's what I think. There were 11 bigger failures who were sitting in the boat. They failed quietly. They failed privately. Their failure went unnoticed, unobserved, uncriticized. Only Peter was the one who had his failure so public and the shame that came with it. But only Peter knew two things that the rest of the 11 didn't know. And that was he knew the experience of walking on water, which is pretty cool. But he also knew the experience of Jesus saving him in the midst of his failure. The worst failure is not to sink in the waves. The worst failure is not to get out of the boat or in the words of Theodore Roosevelt one more time. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions who spends himself in a worthy cause who had triumph of high achievement and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Maybe you need that quote somewhere in your home. Like we haven't plenty of characters in the Bible could have stood to have understood or heard that quote. Which brings me to another story I was thinking about as I was thinking about Peter and failure, high moments and then failures that come on the back end. It's the story of a guy named Elijah in the book of First Kings. It's one of my favorite stories. This is a story that met me in a low moment in my life that gave me a word of hope in the season where I needed it. If you have your Bibles, feel free to turn there if you would to First Kings chapter 18 and 19. I'll read a little bit later in chapter 19, but the story happens after this high moment in, in 1 Kings 18, it's Mount Carmel. And there's been this contest between Elijah and the prophets of Baal and Asherah. So if you want to think about it this way, you've got Elijah on one side representing God and God's people. Apparently the rest haven't been all in with God like Elijah is. And then you've got 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah who are on the other side. And there's these altars that are set up. 
The question is, whose God is the real God? Who's going to come through? Who is the legitimate God above all gods? And so the, the, the challenge is that they're going to call out to their gods, pray to their gods, and whichever God actually lights this sacrifice on fire, that's the one that must be the true God. And so it starts with the prophets of Baal and Asherah. Imagine 850 of these people that are on one side of this mountain surrounding this altar, and they're making all kinds of noise, and Elijah's giving them a hard time because it's, it's not really working out for them, this sacrifice. Nothing comes. And then it's Elijah's turn. Again, imagine 850 that are sitting over there waiting, and Elijah's waiting on God to show up in this moment. He says, I want you to douse this sacrifice with all this water. And then all of a sudden, he calls out to God, and God brings fire from heaven to ignite the sacrifice. Think about how great a moment that would have been. It was a high moment in Elijah's life. It was a high moment in Israel's history. It was clear that God was God and these were the false gods. But if you turn the chapter to chapter 19, you realize that uh, a low comes following that high. What happens is Jezebel gets really angry. She's the queen at the time and she sets out to kill Elijah for making a mockery of her prophets and the gods that she followed. So Elijah tucks his tail and he runs away from Mount Carmel to Mount Horeb. And Horeb is also known as Sinai. It's the place where God had delivered the Ten Commandments to, to Moses following uh, the, the freedom that they had from Egypt. And think about this for a moment, right? Where, why is he running to Horeb? He's running to Horeb because he knows that God showed up there before. And so in the midst of knowing that God may not be there, in the midst of the criticism of his life being in danger, he goes to the one place he knows he can go where God has shown up. Have any of you been there before, right? I don't know what to do. All I know is to run backward to where God last spoke or moved. I think he could have used Roosevelt's quote because Jezebel's criticism from outside the arena seems to mean much more than God's confirmation that was given at Mount Carmel. But just because Elijah goes on the run doesn't mean God has forsaken him in this low moment. Elijah actually goes to Mount Horeb and hears the gentle whisper of God. And what Elijah hears is startling. It's shocking. And the reason that it's shocking is because he's begun to believe the criticism from people who are outside the arena. He's listening to the criticisms that come. He's listening to the hit on his life that Jezebel puts out there. And those things are running through his head over and over again. And the voice of God's going to counter the criticism of Je Jezebel. The voice of God's going to counter the voices of doubt in Elijah's head. And those are always the most difficult voices to silence, aren't they? Those criticisms that come, those are hard when they're external to us. But the harder part for me is when those voices continue to run through my head after the critics are gone. I can have so many words of encouragement that are given to me, but those are always outweighed, it seems like, in my life by the criticisms that come. And it's easy for me to believe those critics and those criticisms and to begin to believe that maybe I did have bad motives in this. Maybe I, I did things wrong in that moment. And these voices keep you from fearlessly fulfilling God's call on your life. Those voices lie to you. That's what they do. You cannot trust the voices of critics that spin around in your head. Those voices speak fear into your life. Those voices kill the courage that was once leading you forward. Those voices are what cause you to sink after you walk on the water. Those voices have killed far more dreams than you can even remember dreaming. Am I the only one who hears these voices in my head? You can hear the voices Elijah's been listening to. He actually repeats these voices back to God. 
You can tell it wasn't just Jezebel who was saying these things. He'd been thinking and dwelling on those things. And they come out when he has this moment with God. This is in 1 Kings 19, verse 10. He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. Any of your prayers ever sounded something like this? I'm alone, God. You not hear my cry? They're after my life. Why won't you step up and do something? Just a few verses later, he repeats the same phrases because they're the ones that are most consistent in his mind. Verse 14 and following. He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I'm the only one left, and they're now trying to kill me too. Elijah is repeating the lies he's heard. Elijah is allowing the critics to control his life. Before we read on and talk about the rest of the story, I want to invite Kevin Vance uh, to the stage. Kevin is uh, one of our missionaries that we've supported for over a decade now here at Greenville Oaks. Uh, his work is in uh, Regina, Saskatchewan, up in uh, Canada, the, our neighbors to the north. And uh, Kevin has uh, become a friend as I've gotten to know his work more and more, and I'm grateful for his ministry. But I thought as we talk to this today uh, and these stories, I wanted to bring Kevin on stage. And, and this is one of the families that we give to right next week, along with the best. And, and other mission trips that we're involved with other places. But uh, I wanted to ask you a few questions related to these stories because I, as I was reading them, I was thinking, Kevin's got to know what this feels like. Um, so you made a change. It's been over a decade now, right? Uh, from a, one position to another. It was kind of one of those get out of the boat moments. So tell us a little bit about that moment of being in the boat and then making the decision to, uh, to step out. Mm-hmm. So I was the president of Western Christian College, which was a small <clears throat> Christian school in Canada. And um, we started a, a kids outreach in the inner city. And uh, over the course of a year or two, it started out really small, but then it took off. And through all that process, God, I, I physically felt God calling me with a God pressure moment to leave the school and uh, our, for our family to move into the inner city and to plant a church there. So. Mm-hmm. So what does that work look like? Who are the kind of people you're working with? And uh... We're working with a lot of, um, uh, well, it's in the inner city, so it's a lot of, uh, a lot of poverty. So with that comes a lot of uh, addictions, uh, drug and alcohol abuse, uh, a lot of crime, a lot of broken families, dysfunction, um, depression and suicide. And ethnically, it's a lot of indigenous or what you would call uh, American Indians. Mm-hmm. So uh, not exclusively, but, but largely. Yeah. So, so when you stepped out of the boat, think back to that moment, right? Mm-hmm. What were the fears that mm-hmm. were running around in your mind? Uh, or not maybe just in your mind, but yeah. reality that you in were my facing. Heart too, what, eh? What's been the fear that's yeah. been there through these years, especially early on? Um, well, uh, I, had t- I had two fears. One was, you know, the, the boat's really comfortable, right? I had a job. I had, I had a good pay. I had a pension plan. I had... Uh, health benefits, you know, um, it was comfortable and getting out of the boat was like, well, where's, you know, where's all that going to come from? <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, where's the, where's the income and the, the salary and so on. So there was that part, but also I think even bigger than that was the fear of, you know, being a cross-cultural minis- missionary in a, you know, among indigenous Canadians, you know, uh, would I be accepted? Would they hear me? Would, would they 
feel like I even care? You know, what kind of reception would I get? So that was a huge mm. psychological, you know, kind of barrier in my mind. Yeah. Well, you're talking about that as a psychological thing, right? Mm-hmm. And we see that in Elijah's story is this kind of battling of the lies and then what God's going to speak into his life. Mm-hmm. What are some of the lies that you began to believe mm-hmm. early on uh, that uh, you've had to maybe grow out of or, or see God you know, fix his truth uh, mm-hmm. along the way. What are some of those lies that have been most pressing with you? Well, uh, one of the biggest lies has been this year. Um, we've come, we've had a tough year and you know, we've had, uh, been kicked around a little bit and, uh, we went on sabbatical, which, uh, my wife and I were really grateful for in the spring, summer. And then, uh, when we came back, a lot of the youth that we had loved and served and, you know, befriended kind of adopted, uh, were gone. And we couldn't figure out why and where they went. And so our Sunday attendance, our high school youth outreach, uh, both took big hits in terms of, you know, the, the number of people coming and stuff. So I took that personally, uh, you know, in the sense of like, obviously we loved them and missed them. But but more than that, it was like, OK, my ego's on the line here. Mm. And, uh, you know, our enroll, our attendance has just dropped like in half. So if I was a better leader, if I was a better teacher, if I was a better mentor, you know, all these yeah. things, if I was this, that, or the other, and God really had to kind of get a grip on my heart and my ego and be like, you know what, this is, this is not your, your value doesn't depend on, you know, your performance or your perceived successes or failures. You know, I, I love you and your value is wrapped up in that period. And so that's a lie that, you know, it's easy to wrap your value up in other things besides the Lord. Well, and being as far away from kind of the Bible belt and how we think about kind of life with the percentages of Christians, it's very different where mm-hmm. you're at. And uh, I can imagine that creating all kinds of questions for you, lies that are believed. Um, how do you, I think a lot of people can connect with your story because I think a lot of us have been through disappointment, frustration, and those lies that begin to kind of roll around. How have you learned to discern and listen to the truth of God Mm. over the lies that sometimes spin around in our minds otherwise? One thing I've done is I listened to a a lot of sermons by Tim Keller Uh uh, and he's a great teacher. And one of the things that he said is that, you know, it's, it's one thing to feel sad or or to grieve when you lose your kids or you, you know, you, your kids stray in their lives. And so we look at the youth kind of like our kids, right? Right. But if you have an, an inordinate like depression or um, you know, when when you have these inordinate angry feelings um, you know that you've invested too much or invested in the wrong way in wow. other people. So that's one thing that's been really helpful, but also just reading scripture and, and kind of embedding some of the verses in my mind and in my heart, like um, uh, Isaiah 26, three says uh, that God will keep in perfect peace. Those who trust in him, you know, so I wasn't experiencing peace this year. I wasn't experiencing anything we're near perfect peace. <laughs> yeah. And so just being at rest and listening to the scripture and to wise teachers and really embedding that, uh, into my heart has really been helpful. Mm-hmm. I think about, uh, the temptation scene with Jesus, right. Mm-hmm. And it's, a, it's a disorienting moment because Satan's throwing scripture at him. It's mm-hmm. not like you know, the criticism of others. It's actual scripture that he's reworking, but it's mm-hmm. what's embedded in his heart mm-hmm. through scripture. Mm-hmm. That is the truth of God that's mm-hmm. there that we've got to have downloaded. Mm-hmm. That's good. So we often, I, I've been to Canada. My son's gotten to go with me. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a great experience to see where you work and live and do your work. Um, 
And many people, I think here, uh, there's several that have been over the last decade or so to Canada uh, to see the, the place you live and, and work. We can look at that and think, man, isn't that, that's powerful work. I mean, that Kevin left this kind of security of the boat and stepped out. And what would you say to people who are on mission trying to live God's life in Collin County in a suburban mm. area, maybe more what you left before you entered into the inner mm. city. And that's not the only work of God's mission, of course, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. what would you want to challenge and say to us to, mm-hmm. uh, to say what you've learned or a word that you're thinking, man, it, you may think this is hard, but it's hard living in Collin County. Mm. And mm-hmm. here's the challenge you may face mm-hmm. and how you can, I just love yeah. to hear you kind of speak. Well, to I that. think one of the things is that we, the, the term mission uh, has come to mean making a trip, going somewhere, going overseas. And actually, biblically, <clears throat> God's mission is to, re- is to rescue and restore the whole world. And so the kind of the false thinking that we have where we're going to do mission, we're going to go somewhere. It's going to start on this day and end at this day, you know, when we come back. And the truth is that God's mission is to your school and your workplace and your neighbors and everybody around you. And I think part of what I would say is, that God calls us to be countercultural in the sense of, you know, we have these, these tiers of socioeconomic things and, and, and racial groups and all this stuff. And, you know, the Bible is like, and Jesus in the gospel of Luke is like, just turns all that upside down, you know? And so I would just say, do something a bit challenging, you know, maybe teach in Garland or, you know, reach out to your, your neighbors or your coworkers that are a different, you know, ethnicity or, um, you know, don't, don't be just stuck in kind of what's comfortable or mm. what's cultural yeah. and just really pray about ways you can reach out with people already around you, you know, Kevin, mm. thank you for modeling mm. for us that move mm. uh, where you're at. I know it's mm. not always easy <laughs> and we want to do a better job of supporting you even the days yeah. ahead. And thank next you. week's an opportunity for us to give to, mm. uh, to this, but I, I hope God's stirring your hearts. Maybe this next year, this is a trip you're, you're going to want to make is to uh, go to Regina mm. and get to thank you. see the work that's happening yeah. there. And so thank you, yeah. Kevin, thank so you. much for you. all that you're doing. Let's give thank it Kevin you. a hand. And we left off in first uh, Kings 19 with the false voices in Elijah's head. And I'm going to keep on reading in just a moment, but before I do that, I, I want to speak to each one of you. In fact, I'd love it if I could this morning to take each of you into a room and hold your hand and say some things to you. I don't have that opportunity today, but I want to speak what I'm saying right now directly to you, who you are right now, the challenges you're facing. I, I want to, this isn't just a, a message to a, a, a faceless crowd. This is something I want to say to each and every one of you. What I'm about to say isn't meant for someone else. It's meant for you. There's a quote that's been attributed to everyone under the sun. That's been really helpful to me. And it's this, be kind. Everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. You're fighting a hard battle right now. I don't know what that is for each one of us. But what I also know is in the midst of the battle you're facing, God is calling you to get out of the boat. And there are voices, I guarantee you, I know this, that are telling you, don't get out of the boat. Those voices are lying to you. And it's vital that you don't listen to them. Remember, it's not the critic who counts. 
It's not the person outside of the arena. You're in the arena. You're fighting the battle right now. Your face is marred with dust and sweat and blood. And what counts is daring greatly. What counts is getting out of the boat and walking on the water. We need you to get out of the boat. We need you to fulfill God's calling on your life. We need you not to play it safe in this time, in this place. We need you to live with courage instead of believing fear. Because here's the truth. Fear is a liar. We need you to listen closer for the voice of God in your life. Because in this story in 1 Kings 19, the problem is Elijah is listening to the lies. Elijah is listening to the liar. Elijah is listening to fear. Elijah is telling himself stories that are not reality. What he needs is to go alone for a moment. What he needs is to listen again, heart back to God's message to him, to remind him who he is and what his calling is. And I want you to listen to the truth that God speaks into Elijah's life. And I want you to hear this as a message to you right now as well. Remember, Elijah's repeated twice already. God, there's no one else. I'm all alone. I'm going to die. But listen to what God says to correct, to reform Elijah's imagination about the truth. First Kings 19 verse 15. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. And when you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat from Abel-Maholah to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael. And Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet, and listen to this verse. I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. What is he trying to say to Elijah? He's trying to say, you're listening to critics that are outside the arena and you're in the arena right now. And it's easy to hear those critics and have them run around in your head and believe those lies are the truth, but they're not. You're not alone, Elijah. And what I'm asking you to do is go back to the mission you've been called on. Go back to the place that is so hard to enter into. That's where the battle lies. I need you to go back there. And what I want you to know is Jehu's going to be there with you. And Hazael's going to be there with you. And there's this guy named Elisha who's actually going to step in beside you and lead after you. This story is not finished. And not only are those three going to be there, he says, there's 7,000 others. You think you're the only one, but if you'll open up your eyes and see and listen to the truth, what you'll realize is you're not alone. There are 7,000 people that are ready to join the work that God has called you to do. So that's the message I want to deliver to you this morning. Go back to where you came from. Go back to the battle in the arena that you're in. And don't listen to the lies that come from outside the arena. Those criticisms don't matter. What we need from you is to dare greatly once again. What we need from you is to believe the truth of what God has said, to let you know you're not alone. In fact, there are dozens of people around you in that place. There may be hundreds, even thousands that are there that are waiting on a leader to stand up and speak truth. And what you're going to find in that moment is the lies were lies. Because fear... Fear lies to us, but the truth of God lets you know you're not alone and there's more ground to take and the battle is not finished. So get back in the arena, forget the lies and the critics 
and know that God has called others to join you in this work. Go back out there and dare greatly. Let's pray as we close this morning. Father, the the lies of the evil one are so subtle, so carefully constructed. They seem so real, even though they're just ghosts and phantoms. So God, I pray right now in the specific situation that each and every person in this room is facing, whatever battle that they're in the middle of, that they hear critics from the outside speaking against them, and they're wondering if they should give up, or maybe they've already given up. What I ask that you would confirm to them right now in that battle is that they are not alone, is that you see them, and you're gently whispering to them the truth that the liars uh, don't want them to know. And that is that they still have work to do. And they're yours. They're beloved by you. They're enough on their own, like Kevin said, rather than the ego needing to speak to what we need. We all know what that's like. And so God, in the midst of being battered, in the midst of questioning ourselves, in the midst of wondering if you're still alive and working and doing things, God, I pray you would confirm today for each one in whatever way you need to, that they're in the arena and that's a good thing. And that daring greatly is worth it. And that they're not alone. So God, help us to be a courageous church that names fear as the lies that it is and that names God's truth for one another and confirms it so that we can be a part of God's mission together. We pray this in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the Greenville Oaks message broadcast. We hope this message helps you to inspire people to follow Jesus because you're convinced, like we are, that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. We invite you to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Discover more about the Greenville Oaks Church online at greenvilleoaks.org.